I think most of us here, maybe all of us here, are Americans. And if you're an American, you know that uh, we, in general, um, are critical of our government. No matter who's in power, we don't like them, typically. Um, we are, they say, at the time of greatest division, perhaps, that our church, I mean, our, our, our country has ever known. It's a pretty bad situation, so you think. But I'm going to take you right now back almost exactly 2,000 years. I'm going to take you back to the government that ruled the world at that time. This is the Roman government. It was the superpower with unquestioned authority and was the unquestioned authority for 500 years. You have what's called the Pax Romana, the Roman peace. With the great military power that they were, they basically brought about peace in the world. There were, of course, many minor skirmishes, but there was great peace. Now, take yourself back 2,000 years, and this is your leader. Emperor Claudius, he reigned from the year 41 to 54, and he married his niece. His niece's name was Agrippina, but she murdered him. She murdered the emperor with poison. And soon after that, she um, arranged for the succession of the Roman throne to fall to her 16-year-old son. After she killed the previous emperor, this 16-year-old who became the emperor was by the name of Nero. And by the way, the passage of scripture we're going to look at today takes place while Nero is the leader. Nero reigned for 14 years. The first part of his administration was reasonably good because he was a minor and people like Seneca, the famous Seneca, and the Roman leadership ruled the country until Nero came into his own. And then this is what he did. One of his first acts was to murder his mother. She was the one who murdered her husband. And now her son murdered her mother, his mother. Her name was Agrippina. And then he got married. His first wife that he married was Claudia Octavia. And he tried on several occasions to strangle her to death. But after having had multiple affairs with one particularly called Papia Sabina, he divorced his first wife, exiled her to an island on the false charge of adultery, and then had her murdered. And he married his, the one he was having the affair with. She died a couple years later when he kicked her to death because she was pregnant and he did not want the child from this woman to be the heir to the throne. So he murdered her. His third spouse was Pythagoras. They married in 64. Pythagoras was a male. He was a freedman who had been Nero's wine steward, and he married him in a public ceremony in which the emperor Nero wore the clothing of the bride. This is from Tacitus, the famous Roman historian. He stooped to marry himself to one of that filthy herd by name Pythagoras, with all the forms of regular wedlock. 
The bridal veil was put over the emperor. People saw the witnesses of the ceremony, the wedding dower, the couch, and the nuptial torches. Everything in a world was plainly visible, which even when a woman weds, hides darkness. So they consummated the marriage physically in public. Well, he got married again. His fourth spouse, Statatilia Messalina, he out, she outlived him, but he had a fifth spouse. His fifth spouse was Sporus, also a male. And this is from Wikipedia. Sporus was a young man to whom Nero took a liking as a boy toy. Nero and Sporus married in AD 67, and then Nero had Sporus castrated. Nor Nero and Sporus appear in public as wife, as his wife wearing the regalia that was customary for Roman empresses. This is your leader, and that's only the very beginning. He then, of course, during his reign, slavery in the Roman Empire flourished. Taxation was incredibly exorbitant. His government was thoroughly pagan. And he decided that he wanted to rebuild Rome in his honor. So the word is that he personally started fires so that a major portion of the city of Rome would burn. And then when the word got out from the press of the day that it was in fact the emperor who had started the fires, what he did is he went out into the streets of Rome with money out of the public treasury and started throwing money at the people. And then to divert attention from himself as the one who started the fires, he blamed this little group of people who had no power, were hardly known, called Christians. He rounded them up and tied them to poles, dipped their bodies into pitch, and then they provided, then lit them on fire, and they provided the street lights for the city of Rome, burning bodies on sticks who were Christians. And then, as you know, it was this emperor who decreed that both the apostle Paul and the apostle Peter were killed. During his administration and following administrations, they started to persecute Christians widely throughout the Roman emperor. They accused them of being atheists because they didn't believe in the gods of Rome. They accused them of being um, cannibals because they participated in the Lord's Supper. They said that when the Tiber rose and flooded and people died, it was the Christians who were responsible for disasters in the city of Rome. They called them immoral. They called them incestuous. They called them family unfriendly. They called them misfits and nobodies. And they called them traitors. This is the government under which the apostles who were still alive lived. This is the government under which the apostle Paul lived. And this is the government in power when the apostle Paul writes the passage we're about to read. Now, I know we as Americans think our leaders are bad from time to time or good, whatever we think. But I tell you, we have never had a leader, hardly in the history of the world, that matches the leader under which the New Testament was written, Emperor Nero. Now, you can't forget what I just said as we look at the following passage. Because when you read it, you're going to scratch your heads and go, what? Did he really write that? 
Yes, he did. Now, if you were living under the, the, the reign of Nero and you were a Christian, what would you do? What if you were a Christian and you were a bunch, around a bunch, a little bunch of Christians meeting on a Sunday morning, hiding from the authorities? What would you say about the government? Hey, let's, let's kill these guys. I mean, can you believe it? What would you say? What would God say? This is what God said. Turn to your Bibles to Romans chapter 13. And we're going to look at the first seven verses. This is probably the most important passage in all the Bible on how we as Christians should respond to our government. And remember the government that we're talking about. It's the government of Nero. A Nero who had five marriages, two to males. They were same-sex marriages and was a very, very evil man. Now, the passage of scripture we're about to start with, Romans chapter 13, verse 1, has been one of the most studied and analyzed verses and passages in the entire Bible. And the reason is, it's been studied so carefully because we don't want to believe that it says what it says. Because here's what it says. Romans 13, verse 1. Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities. Everyone. Who does he mean by everyone? Well, of course, he's writing to Christians. So he means all Christians. Be subject. He doesn't use the word obey. That comes at other places, but he says, be subject, which is a word that he uses with regard to husbands and wives. It says, be subject to one another out of your fear of Christ. It's a, it's a word that's used with regard to people in a church. Be subject to your elders. The word means to place yourself under. It's a, it's a term that has to do with an authority structure. God says, there is an authority structure that I have put in place in this world. And you are to be under, subject to the governing authorities. Now, who are the governing authorities? Well, that's simple. The powers that be. So the powers that be in the, in the city of, of Riverton are, is the mayor and the council. And in this state, it's the governor. And of course, in our federal government, it's our president and our representatives. Those are the powers that be. In the case when this was written, you had a Roman Senate. But that was not really the power that was at that time. The power that was in power at that time was the emperor, Emperor Nero. That's the powers that be. Be subject to the, uh, the authorities. Now, that obviously raises some really troubling questions. What if the state is corrupt or evil? Is submission still required? What if you were a German living under Hitler or a, a Russian living under Stalin or a Chinese person living under Mao or a Cambodian living under Pol Pot or a North Korean li uh, work, living under Kim Jong-un? What would you do then? Who is and who is not among the governing authorities? What if you lived in Afghanistan right now and your government just shifted and now your governing authorities are no longer these elected people? But the Taliban, they are now the governing authorities. And, and these governing authorities, they're basically a band of rapists and thieves and murderers. And they're religious zealots, no less. Certainly God couldn't mean these clods, could he? Seems that what he says. 
In fact, someone said that we Christians are called to be conscientious subjectors. Out of conscience, we subject ourselves to the governing authorities. Now, if God is going to make a statement like that, he better give us some good reasons. And so the next section, he's going to give us reasons. Now, how do you find when God is giving reasons? It's very simple. You just look at your Bible and circle the word for. When the word for is there, God is giving a reason. And so now, after the apostle Paul has given the command, the command is be subject to the governing authorities. He's going to now give us three reasons. Here's the first one. Four, there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that have existed have been established by God. Now, did you see what he just did there? He gave us a reason. And then he says, for there is no authority except that which God has established. And if you didn't get it the first time, I'm going to say it again. The authorities that exist have been established by God. He's going to try to reinforce it so that we make sure that we don't get it. And then he's going to make it even more clear. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. And those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. God himself has established or appointed every authority that exists. And the mind of the Christian, and we're people who are the recipients of God's righteousness, it it, it changes our minds. So much so that we recognize that behind everything that happens in this world is the hand of God, including bad things and including a bad government. Because the truth is, if you know anything about the world, or if you've lived anywhere else in the world, as I have, most governments are very bad. Where I used to live in Africa back in the 1970s, I lived there for three years. Our king, under which I lived for three years, had 100 wives. How do I know? Well, one of his sons was in my my class. Don't be surprised. Don't be impressed. I think the king had 69 sons, and he was just one of them. But you see, our world has all kinds of leaders. Um, You probably have heard the statement of Lord Acton. Power corrupts, and absolute power corrupts absolutely. But you may not know the next line. The next line goes something like this. Great leaders are almost always bad people. You see, there's something about political power, even power in churches. There's something about power in general. As you get more power, it does something to your character. It destroys you. And so the more power you give to a person, you usually will have a more evil person. And very rarely will you ever find a person who's great, who is also good. They don't go together. And so almost all countries of all times, almost all people in power including the church, by the way, are under the temptation of being corrupted by that power. But who lets that happen? God does. Why? Because he's got a plan in mind. You see, one of the things that I don't think we do as Christians, but it would be very wise if we could. Remember, when we look at history through our media or any media, we're looking at history this way, geopolitically. But try to think of how would, is history viewed if you look at it not horizontally, but vertically? What is God up to? For example, 
What's happened in the Middle East over the last uh, 20 years, including the Arab Spring, has incredibly disrupted that region of the, of the globe and has brought great catastrophe to countries all over the world, including ours with now 9-11. And from a geopolitical standpoint, this has been horrible what has happened. But remember, we're Christians. We, look at, we don't only look at life this way. We look at life this way. Do you know what one of the results has been of the disruption of the people all over the world in the Muslim world? Revival. Many Muslim people are becoming to Jesus as their savior. Many, including especially in Iran. Look at the numbers. What's God's ultimate aim? God's ultimate aim is he wants to fill heaven with human beings. That's what he wants. And when all's good and everyone's doing great, people don't look to God. So sometimes maybe he allows some disruption so that people will say, oh, God, I need your help. He said, that's all I've been waiting for. Yes, I'll take you because anyone broken, he'll take. You see, God says that he put religious leaders in power or allowed them to be put in power. Christians submit to governmental authorities because God has ultimately selected the powers that be. Thus, to rebel against God's selection is to invite his judgment. Someone wrote this. No matter how wicked or oppressive the leaders of a country may be, believe, believers are assured that these evil people are not beyond God's control. They are not. And by the way, why is Paul in Rome or why is he writing to Rome and he's going to visit Rome? Because he appealed to the Roman emperor. He's a Roman citizen. Now questions arise. God, what about all these evil people? The Bible tells us about what about Pharaoh? What about Ahab and Jezebel? What about Sennacherib? What about Manasseh? What about Nebuchadnezzar? What about Belshazzar? What about Haman? What about King Herod? Did you put these people in power? I guess so. What about today? What about Muammar Gaddafi? What about Bashar al-Assad? What about Hugo Chavez? What about Robert Mugabe? What about Saddam Hussein? What about Idi Amin? God, did you put these people in power? There's no authority that exists that God is not allowed. Why? He's up to something. And it sure looks dark to us. But he's moving things in a direction. And then he's going to give a second reason. This one's crazy too. For, there's our word again. Here's a reason. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right. Tell that to the Chinese people, Chinese Christians. But for those who do wrong, do you want to be free from the fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right and you will be commended. <laughs> yeah, right. Wow. That's Interesting. They hold no terror for those who do wrong? Well, yes, they do. Doesn't Paul know about some of these evil idiots who rise to positions of power? And in fact, God's word calls them deacons. He said, these people are my servants. And what's their job? A political leader's job is to reward good and to punish evil. But I would say to God, oh God, what happens when our leaders reverse good and evil, what then? What if then their responsibility is to promote evil and punish good? 
We'll get to that. But unconsciously, political leaders serve God's purposes in the world. By the way, there's never been a government so evil in the history of the world that is not better than this alternative. No government. You see, the worst state of affairs for human beings anywhere in the history of the world is no government, which is called anarchy. That is the least humane in all the history of the world because then people are killed wantonly. Well, God's going to give us his third reason. Here it goes in verses 4b through um, 5. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For, here's our four again, for he does not bear the sword for nothing. He's God's servant. And by the way, this word servant is, he is your worship leader. <laughs> That's what it is. For he is your worship leader. What? An agent of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also because of conscience. You see, God asks us to submit to government so as to avoid punishment and to keep our consciences clean. <laughs> Speaking of conscience, have you heard of the conscience fund? We have one in the United States. It was established in 1811. They knew that there were people who were not paying their taxes. So our government in 1811 established a conscience fund where people could send money to this fund anonymously to ease their conscience. The first year, 1811, um, I forget, there was hardly any money. $5 came in the first year. But, but since then, $5.7 million have been donated. Many times it comes through clergy people like myself. Someone even on their deathbed says, I have been cheating the government. I want you to send money to them, which of course we do. I haven't done that one yet, but this is one that came from the conscience fund. They sent some money and here's what they said. Dear internal revenue service. I have not been able to sleep at night because I cheated on last year's income tax. Enclosed, you will find a cashier's check for $1,000. If I still can't sleep, I'll send you the balance. <laughs> That's a half-clear conscience. <laughs> that one's funny. Peter wrote this. And again, remember, Peter is alive at the same time, and he's killed by Nero as well. Submit yourself for the Lord's sake to every authority instituted among men, whether to the king as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good, you shall silence the ignorant talk of foolish men. Live as free men, but do not use your freedom as a cover up for evil. Live as servants of God. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the brotherhood of believers. Fear God, honor the king. So God gives us reasons. But then you might say, well, I like practical suggestions. How do we, does this submission to government play out in real life as citizens of the Roman Empire or of the United States of America? So now he's going to answer the practical question. What does it look like in real life? Verse 6. This is also why you pay <clears throat> taxes. Oh, by the way, I, I, one of the preachers I've heard of, 
he, he didn't like to pay his taxes. So every year he wrote out his taxes and he paid the full amount. <laughs> but uh, he addressed the letter to the infernal revenue service. He, he said he had to repent because he did that. Instead of the internal revenue service, he put the infernal <laughs> revenue service. I wonder if they ever picked up on that. Probably not. They never looked at the address. Um, this is why you pay taxes. For the authorities are God's servants who will give their full time to governing. Give everyone what you owe him. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If you owe revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. We demonstrate our God-given submission to the state by faithfully paying our taxes, showing respect in word and deed and attitude to our leaders and praying faithfully for them. That's what God says. If I had to summarize from the Bible, what are our responsibilities to the government? I would give you five of them, and they all rhyme. Number one, pray. Pray for them. It's a very clear command. First thing Paul says, pray for your leaders. Pray. Number two, obey. Or better, submit to their authority. Number three, pay. Pay your taxes. Number four, bray. That's the loud, angry noise a donkey makes. When the government does things that are wrong, we bray. And the fifth one we're coming to just in a minute, disobey. We're called to disobey. First one, pray. Then obey. Then pay. Bray. And disobey. Let me deal with three uh, practical issues as we conclude this morning. Number one, taxation. When did you last see the bumper sticker that said, I love the IRS. When did you last hear anyone say those words? I love the IRS. Never heard them. They've never been said. This nation was founded against taxation. Remember? Taxation without representation is tyranny. The truth is, we all know, governments, including our own, tax too much and they spend too poorly. We know that. And there's never been a government in the history of the world. Can you imagine what you did if you were paying your taxes to the Roman government? You're paying for these crazy weddings and killings of Nero. And that's only the start. I, didn't, I, I got pages, 30 pages of what went on during his administration. Horrors. You're paying for this nut to kill people. Christians, your brothers and sisters. Yes, pay your taxes. By the way, who told us to pay our taxes? Jesus. Give to Caesar when he was asked about taxation. Give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. Paul, Peter, they all tell us the same thing. Why? I believe that God's command to pay our taxes is one of God's great mercies. Because what's going to happen in our dear country if within the next several months, our tax God dollars go to the murder of the innocents. That could very well happen in America. So what do we do as Christians? Do we say, well, I'm, I think 10% of our government is bad and I'm going to only pay 90% of my taxes. Well, if they find out, you're going to find yourself in the clink. God, God took that off the table. 
What if you're a Roman citizen? You say, I'm not paying for, 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 for my emperor to kill his mother, to kill his wives, to marry two men. I'm not paying for that. God took it off the table. Who took it off? Jesus did. Paul did. Peter did. I'm not going to so bother your conscience that you try to decide what percentage of your government you're going to pay. Pay your taxes. That's what God says. I think it's divine genius of God that he, he told us to do that. Taxation is one of the ways that we pay, that we show our submission to government. Do we like it? No, but there's a good side. And in this nation, we've had a lot of good we've enjoyed through our governments who in the history of the world have been very good by comparison, very good. We should of all, of all people be some of the most thankful people on the face of the earth. Secondly, the issue of civil disobedience. Remember, one of my five things is we are called by God to disobey. This is Mahatma Gandhi. Civil disobedience becomes a sacred duty when the state becomes lawless and corrupt. So then the question arises from Gandhi's statement, how do we decide when a nation is lawless and corrupt? God has answered the question for us six times. There's six clear examples in Holy Scripture of God's people blatantly disobeying the government. Perhaps you know the six. Hebrew midwives delivering babies were commanded by the Pharaoh, if the baby is a boy, kill it upon delivery. The Hebrew midwives, they said they would not do that. And when the government came and said, what are you doing? They said, oh, we're doing nothing. These Hebrew women, when they give birth, they're so fast, we're not even there to catch the baby. Big fat lie. And what does God do with these people? He honors them. They lied and they disobeyed the government. What was at stake? They were being commanded by the government to kill innocent human lives. They said no. The next one is Rahab. Rahab was a prostitute. She was a prostitute um, servicing the men who came as visitors to Jericho. And when it was determined that the, some of these Hebrew visitors had come and visited the prostitute, Rahab, the government officials came and said, did you see these Hebrew people here in your house? Rahab said, yeah, they were here, but they left and they're down the road. If you go real fast, you'll catch them. Big fat lie. They were, she was hiding them on, in, on her roof. What does God do to her? Oh, honors her. She lied. What was the alternative? If she said, oh yeah, they're under the, the, the hay bales over there. They're dead. She's saving a life. Like Corey Ten Boom did when she lied about hiding Jewish people in her home. The third one is, is Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They were commanded by Nebuchadnezzar. When you hear this particular music, you immediately bow down and worship. And they said, no, we are commanded by God not to commit adult, uh, uh, idolatry. And so they were found and put into the fiery furnace. And God, in this case, spared their lives. Who was in there with them? Most people think Jesus got in the, the fire with them. Then there's Daniel. Daniel in the lion's den was told by the governing authority, in this case, um, uh, the Persians, that he was not allowed to pray to anyone but the king. And Daniel hears that one. He goes right home, opens the shutters, and starts to pray facing Jerusalem to the God of Israel. He was caught and thrown in the lion's den. God again saved his life. 
In the New Testament, we come to the Hebrew, we come to Peter and John, or, or, and uh, they, were, they were convicted by the, the Sanhedrin, the ruling council of Israel at the time, and told, do not speak anymore about this Jesus guy. And they said, oh, that's nice. We're not going to stop. We obey God. We don't obey you. And they went right out and started preaching about Jesus. And in the book of Revelation, it speaks about the day is going to come when those who are the followers of Jesus and of God are going to face governmental pressure. We're going to make them even get a mark to identify themselves as followers of the state. And they're going to refuse and they're going to lose their lives. What do these have in common? It's very clear. It seems to me there's no question at all for a believer what God's word says. This is it. The norm is we submit to the authority of the state until the state does one of two things. It commands you to do something that God has prohibited or prohibits you from doing something that God has commanded. Then we civilly disobey. So for example, let's take abortion. Our government does not command abortion as China did. No, they don't. We do not do that. But the day could come perhaps when a doctor is commanded to perform abortions. And that is taking place in places around our world right now. That is a place where a Christian would have to say, no, I cannot do that. You see the difference there? When a government commands you to do something that God has prohibited or prohibits you from doing something that God has commanded, that's when we civilly disobey. And I could add one more thing. And we take the consequences of the state. That's what God says. Well, last is the different, is the issue of respect. This is how much we respect in our country. Someone wrote, the only difference between the government and the mafia is that the mafia turns a profit. <laughs> oh, you, you, know, you can see them. And I, I didn't look at any of your cars and I'm not going to look at your car as I leave today. But I hope I don't see on your bumper sticker, not my president. Please, I'm not going to look. But President Biden is our president. And you know who put him there? God. Why? It's part of, we don't know what God's up to. But we do know he's got a plan. God did that. And so, yes, he is my president. And what do I do? I pray. And I obey. And I pay and I bray when I don't agree with what he does. And if the time comes, we're called by God to disobey. That's what it means to be a good Christian citizen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, your ways are not our ways. Your thoughts are not our thoughts. For the heavens are high above the earth. Sometimes we don't know, we don't understand your ways they're really, really different and hard to take sometimes. We don't understand them, but we do believe and we trust you that you are good, that you are wise, that you're all wise and all good. And We seek to follow our Lord Jesus Christ in this world in which you've placed us. So may we be good citizens, but better than that, good Christian citizens who follow Jesus faithfully in our world. To this end, we pray for the enablement of the Holy Spirit 
And in Jesus' name, amen.